Can I ask you, um, I know a lot of people are very concerned about federal bill C-11 um, at the federal level and the provincial bill in here in BC 36. Could you comment on both of those? I stick with the, the section 52-1 of the constitution, but love to hear where you are at it. That's being challenged. We're challenging that as part of our amendment to our claim. We are so honored that Rocco Galati is joining us once again on the Empower Hour. Rocco is a prominent Canadian constitutional lawyer who is committed to challenging unconstitutional actions and omissions of the state. He has had a very successful career spanning over three decades and has twice been named as one of Canada's top 25 influential lawyers by Canadian Lawyer Magazine. Rocco believes it is his duty not just as a lawyer, but as a Canadian citizen to speak up and take action. And we are so grateful for his impressive knowledge, expertise, and integrity. Will you all please help me welcome Rocco Galati. Rocco, welcome to the Empower Hour. Thanks for having me again. Terrific. Thank you, Heather. Well, Rocco, I've been so excited about having you on the show tonight. Um, I, I look at you and you, uh, you're looking amazing. And the recovery that you've had, I think there's been a lot of prayer for you. I know there has been. And so I'd like to start off the show by um, giving you the opportunity to talk a little bit about your journey, about how you became sick in December of 2021. And uh, maybe you want to discuss a little bit about what went on in the hospital and then this remarkable recovery that you've had. We're just so grateful. Well, you know, as my father used to say, you know, I'm a sick man and my health ain't too good either, but I'll <laughs> give you broad strokes of what happened uh, essentially uh, just before Christmas of 2021. I fell very ill. And just to dispel all the nonsense that was on the Internet, including the six obituaries about me that are still online that they refuse to take down, uh, my illness is not COVID-related whatsoever. Um, I, 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 uh, I was hospitalized and then uh, intubated into a coma against my written instructions. And so I was in a coma for about 12 days. I had myself released two days after I came out of the coma. Uh, and I had myself released to a private medical facility and where I was basically paralyzed for the first several weeks. And then I began my slow rehabilitation. I was on four liters of oxygen a minute uh, with 24-7 uh, ICU nursing care that I had to pay for because I didn't trust the, the hospital to do anything but kill me. And then uh, mm -hmm. uh, so I took myself out of the hospital. And then basically it wasn't until March that I was walking without oxygen uh, without uh, uh, the uh, oxygen tank. And then it took me a while to recuperate. I'm still recuperating, you know. I'm mm -hmm. still, I'm back at work. I'm uh, I'm back to my duties as a lawyer. Uh, but it was quite a uh, check, uh, ch it was quite a slam to the boards that I took in terms of health. Uh, everybody thought it was a miracle that I even survived. Uh, I reminded the hospital staff and others that, we have a saying where I come from in Calabria in southern Italy that nasty brown grass does not die. It returns in the spring. And I was lucky enough with the grace of God and the, all the prayers I received and just the tenacity to get better. 
that I did recuperate. I'm not 100%, but as I said to you before, Tanya, I think that doesn't bother me because ever since I've been six years old, everyone I've known has always leaned over and said to me, Rocco, you're not, you're not 100%. And so I'm used to that. So, But I'm, over, I'm basically 90, 92%, which is fine with me. I can more than function well at 92%. And so it was a very, very difficult six months to literally get back on my feet. I couldn't move anything but my head or hands, my fingers, when I first came to the private care facility that I had set up for myself. And so, you know, I recuperated. The hospital said they could have me walking with difficulty by June, which was five months. I said, no, thank you. And, you know, I, uh, I made a recovery that was a lot quicker than that because I was in control of my own program. So that was about it. I got a lot of funny emails while I was still in hospital and just shortly after when I was released uh, to the effect of, oh, we know you were in a coma, but, you know, you must be better by now. So here, can you look at all these 27 electronic files read them and give me uh, your advice on this. And of course, I deleted all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of nasty emails saying that I was faking my illness, you know. So this is this is human nature. But at any rate, that's, unless you have any pointed question, that is basically a recap on my health. So to, to repeat, from December of 2021 to about May, I was basically incapacitated. I was not 100. I couldn't. You know, I was at 20, 30% in terms of uh, taking care of the store. And then through the summer, I got back into it in 22. Okay, so, right. and as you recall, we had a discussion. I was really not 100% when I argued the motion for action for Canada, but I felt that I needed to argue that, so it wasn't delayed any further. Uh, that was May, I believe, if I recall. Yes, of last May 31st. Year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then from there... I, I moved to schedule the federal workers' motion to strike very quickly. And we argued that January 19th of this year. The court is still on reserve on that while waiting for a decision. And we've been pursuing all the doctors' cases uh, where they're trying to de-license doctors for their free speech and, uh, and criticism of COVID measures. So my firm is, uh, has been you know, keeping on top of the cases and we're moving. Of course, it's right. not never fast enough for anyone because they basically don't understand the court process. And most people don't understand that I have different clients who have different instructions for me. Not every client has the same objectives they're trying to achieve. And I answer only to God and my clients. I don't answer right. to anybody else. I don't even well, answer to my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me see. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, yeah, Rocco, thanks for sharing that, uh, uh, um, you know, regarding your health and your recovery. I know that a lot of people, the majority of Canadians care very deeply for you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a tough place to be in as well when so many people feel, you know, you feel the weight of people relying on you in a right. capacity such as this. Right. And uh, so Just what would you rate your quality of care in the hospital? Oh, dismal, negligent, criminal. Yeah. Criminal. Yeah. I won't get into it now. You may right. read about it in a statement of claim later or in a podcast with the international mm -hmm. podcast, but it's just, I just don't want to even waste uh, the viewer's time on that. It was just criminal. Uh, just yeah. to clarify, I mean, for instance, you hear my voice is different. This is permanent mm -hmm. damage from the permanent da damage they did to me through the intubation, mm -hmm. which I did not want. And specifically in writing before I was hospitalized, 
indicated right. under no circumstance intubate me because as you know 90 percent of people who are intubated die right during the yeah COVID well pandemic. we were all very con yeah we were all very concerned right. about that that in remdesivir right so uh, right. there was much concern as you were recovering and as well as uh you know being a client and have multiple multiple plaintiffs there was a lot of pressure put on action for canada and others vaccine choice canada and ted coons uh, because people were demanding answers and as you said there were these horrible uh, obituaries saying six of them saying that you died uh there was a lot of information going around that only uh, further impacted it in order to agitate, you know, the crowds and uh, bring uh, people to, yeah, to lead them, you know, to doubt what was going on. And, you know, it's really good to have this conversation today and let people know mm. that, you know, we were all doing our absolute best. And it was so exciting that day that you were in court, even at, uh, you know, the level that you could, um, you know, be present, you were magnificent. You were absolutely mm -hmm. magnificent. And you put all of the uh, lawyers for the defendants to shame that day. And, uh, you know, our case continues to go. So uh, right. where would you like to go from here? Would you like to talk about some of those cases? Oh, sure. Well, in your cases, you know, we've appealed the order because uh, good parts of it were wrong. Uh, but I have been uh, uh, diligently doing an amended claim, which should be issued and filed uh, very imminently in the next couple of weeks, two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. And we're going to proceed. The uh, the federal case, we'll see what the judge decides, but it'll proceed one way or the other. And the cases are proceeding. We have uh, a motion scheduled this year for the uh, Vaccine Choice for Canada uh, instructed me to get the government defendants either to poo or get off the pot, and they have. So we got a motion scheduled on that case later in the year. And so they're progressing in accordance with the, with the instructions of my different clients. And right. I, along the way, and I'm not going to reveal those instructions, but along the way, uh, not all my clients gave me the same instructions for different reasons. And clients right. have a right to pursue their interest in the way that they want, not in the way that the peanut gallery at large who's interested mm -hmm. in just subverting those clients once. It's not their case. We're keeping our uh, legal action page updated. There's some things that we haven't put on there yet because we'll be posting at the time that we file. But as Rocco had mentioned, uh, we are... Um, uh, we are doing a, an appeal, and I want to encourage people to continue to donate to Action for Canada, con continue to donate to the Constitutional Rights Centre, because uh, we need to ensure that, uh, there's, that it takes extra funds to appeal. This isn't part of the constitutional challenge. There's a lot of cases that Rocco's uh, turning out and, uh, you know, that he needs assistance with as far as financially. So, Sheila, can you make sure you put the Constitutional Rights Centre in the uh, chat for where people can donate and to Action for Canada? Now... Uh, Rocco, you and I both know that, you know, we've undergone a lot of criticism uh, in our cases because of timing. So I would like to bring it to the attention, you know, of our viewers that there's different kinds of cases and different ways to go about it. We're very specific in the strategy, as Rocco has said, and we're not going to always make that uh, public. And it may not go to the pace that you feel it should go. But when you reflect on other cases, there's one in BC that was launched in January 2020, 2021, and it's now 2023 and it's gone nowhere. And they've also, they've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, made all kinds of grand promises. Um, so we're asking you to uh, weigh you know, where it is before you go to make a criticism, understand that we are working at our 
fullest and best capacity for every single Canadian. And we are personally invested in this. And um, so anyways, Rocco, let's talk about well, that federal like case. Mention, when you I, filed... I'm, sure, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I'd like to mention, I, I'm sure they, they won't mind mentioning, you know, we've got a huge case going on with the Ontario health workers with hundreds of plaintiffs. And I often mm -hmm. get emails every week, can you give us another update? And I, I often respond with, you know, a court case is not a medical patient in the hospital. You don't go in for daily updates. You know, uh, a court case doesn't move as a hospital patient moves through a hospital, through a, a, a healing process. Right. There are points. There's a process there. And, you know, the process and there's junctures where you get an update because it's time for the next step to happen in accordance with the instructions of the client. And so I don't when I look at other people's cases. I don't pass any judgment on how fast mm -hmm. or slow they're going, on whether they win or lose. It disheartens me when they lose, especially mm -hmm. if the you know the judgment says you got no evidence to to support your case, which tells me something's gone wrong in terms of uh, amassing the evidence. But what's been really disheartening about this whole uh, challenge to the COVID measures, and I'm not going to, I I don't point my finger at anybody is how different groups are simply sniping at others and they have mm -hmm. no connection to them. People are free to bring whatever the cases they want, to take whatever action on the ground they want. I don't tell anybody else how to conduct their protest or business, mm -hmm. right? And it's disheartening to see this backstabbing sniping, which is really petty and counterproductive for those of us who claim to want to resist these measures in order for us mm -hmm. and other Canadians to enjoy their constitutional rights. What I see is a phenomenon of what I call the runway peacock of different groups who say, nobody else, I want the glory of challenging mm -hmm. this. Well, there's no glory in this. It's just a lot of hard work. Yeah. And the sad reality is that a lot of the courts are frightened and they're bent towards the government policies. And so it's hard enough to deal with the other side, the crown and the courts, that you need people. You have to contend with people who claim to be on your side, who are doing nothing constructive except uh, uh, bad-mouthing you without any knowledge or experience right. or know-how. Yeah. So and I love it. Yeah, I, I as well have made a, a firm decision that I don't name any of the individuals that blog about mm -hmm. me on a Friday night or go out there and do this because it's counterproductive and a distraction. I, I, I feel like, you know, we're, we're not in high school. This is uh, we're up against uh, murderers and criminals and we need to take this very seriously. So right. my commitment is like, you know, the little horse blinders. I'm moving forward and I just put that to the side and I'm, I'm trying tonight to to ask others to do that because. Because right. Rocco doesn't need the criticism. I don't. We need the support. We're in a battle. And uh, I, I know Heather had that picture of that ferocious lion. That's what I look like every morning when I wake up, right? And when we're addressing when we're addressing right. this matter, like I'm I'm staying focused on who the real criminals are. So yeah, yeah, Rocco, in that, I'm very very grateful for you. And I just wanted to give you that encouragement. Um, okay, so uh, I want to let people know as well. If I'm not mistaken, when you launched on behalf of the 600 workers, the federal workers, at the end of May of last year, within two weeks. Isn't it something that Trudeau overturned the travel mandates? Well, within two weeks of issuing the statement of claim in which we challenged 
the constitutionality of his travel mandates, he suspended them all. Mm -hmm. And then right? again, October 1st, what happened October 1st, right after you'd had a discussion, uh, you had a trial well, date, I think, set up for the third or a, an appearance well, in they, the court. They tried to delay it to no end to hear other cases being mm -hmm. argued. And I said, nothing doing. I want mine heard now. That was my instructions for my client. I want it heard now. And so we picked we picked January 19th within three months for a full yep. day of argument in the federal court. And we argued it January 19th, the motion. Right. So we're and just backing, waiting on the court. Right. And backing up to September, um, I remember you stating that uh, you were away at that time and you were looking for an appearance in the court and uh, you wanted it within a week of coming back. And it was October 3rd. And all of a right. sudden, I think within 24 hours, was a Globe and Mail had put out a, a report that Trudeau was overturning the Arrive Can app as of October 1st. Right. Right, right, right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Right. So these I, are I, huge wins. I don't have a clear memory. Yeah, that's right. That happened. I, yeah. I don't remember as vividly because I was in the Mediterranean for medical treatment and uh, convalescing on the beach. So I yeah. didn't think of anything <laughs> else but yeah. vitamin D and sunscreen. I was uh, on the first holiday I've had in decades. So that's right. Yeah. I came back Recovering. September 22nd from overseas. That's right. And uh, and. Uh, so, yeah, so these cases do have an impact, even though people don't see it. The thing I try to explain to people is that we live in a cafe culture on social media, and people don't understand that doing a case is not a Twitter post. It's not a Facebook post. It's a mountain, an avalanche of documentary and evidence. And, and you know, you just... it. it, it the, the 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 idea that if something has not been finally determined in court, nothing has happened, is asinine below high school. It's elementary school. Now, the way I explain it is this, Tanya. You imagine that somebody somebody is holding a knife or something, and the police are called. The police arrives on the scene, draws their gun, and they say to the guy, drop your knife and get on the ground and put your hands behind the, your back. And he does it. And they handcuff him. And the response that's akin to the responses we're getting is, why didn't you shoot him? Well, I didn't have to. You know, we got a lot of what we wanted by him surrendering. Oh, yeah, but you, you didn't do anything because you didn't shoot him. Right? As if shooting them is the only is the only possible win in that scenario. And that's what they're doing. It's, it's like with, the, well, with all the other places, we've had wins that are not visible because the media doesn't report them. So that was an example, perfect example in the federal case. We got a lot of concessions out of Trudeau just by filing and him knowing this is serious, this is gonna go. It's it's hundreds of million dollars in damages that are at stake, right? right. Well, because we have 600 the, employees, we've sued for damages. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> uh, in addition well, to the constitution, in addition to the constitutional relief. So we did get immediate response to our lawsuit. I don't take that as a coincidence that within two weeks of this, that happened, and within one week of that, that happened. That's not right. a coincidence. And, so, anyway. Well, when when you filed for Vaccine Choice Canada as well in Ontario, uh, that brought about some immediate changes a few years ago as well, because asking, yeah. there was 
the mask mandates. But uh, the problem was, is like it says in in the Bible, right? For lack of knowledge, people perish. And uh, even though they had these uh, mandates in place, uh, they were mandates. You can't legislate against breathing freely. You can't have a law uh, to wear a mask. You have the freedom not to. And it was uh, mainly fear and compliance that, uh, you know, right. Right. And when we announced a pending injunction against the masking, well, they, they promulgated regulations that said you can declare your own exemption without having to provide uh, proof. And so people saying, where's your injunction? Said, we don't need it. You have the right to just right. declare an exemption and enforce your own right. Now, the fact that some right. people were not respecting that has got nothing to do with me. If, if we had gone to court, the court would say, well, what do you need an injunction for? You're not obligated to mask if you declare an exemption. Right. So the court would have just turfed right. the injunction as saying, well, well you, you have that right. Just the people... Yeah. One either didn't know, or even if they knew, they had to push a bit, uh, as you had your experience, you know, with with these masking mandates when you were out in Ontario, you know. So, so that's the other thing I like to tell people that there is the, uh, uh, a lot of cases are not won in the court. In fact, if you rush in where angels fear to tread, you may trip yourself and lose prematurely. Mm-hmm. You know. No, well, I think and- the science is out. The, the, the the landscape has changed dramatically, you know. Even judges know uh, what's, you know, they, they read and they listen. I mean, it's not 18 months ago where anybody you, who criticized the mandates point. was a crackpot. Yeah, you make a very good point. And uh, when we consider the judges as well, there's a lot of movement and press back. Uh, against judges with the Canadian Judicial Council as well, bringing into question uh, um, a breach of oath of the bench. And, uh, you know, I think judges are starting to have to even consider treading a little more carefully about how far they're going to be taking this in complying with whatever the government is requesting they're doing. Because I don't think they're doing this of their own free will. I think there's been pressure there on the judges, some some obviously willingly. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the culture too. Look, Canadian society has always been more authority, respecting, and compliant than American society. For instance, the case law coming out of the states—they are smacking the COVID measures left, right, and center. The courts are, but the Canadian courts are not. So far, it's a—it's a tougher slog. We, by definition, you know, as I said to a federal court judge once, you know, where I alleged. I allege that uh, uh, a border officer had abused his authority and had exercised a depraved abusive process. And we bantered back and forth with the judge on the issue. And then finally I said, oh, my Lord, I, I understand the problem that we're having in communicating. He said, what? It's an ethno-cultural cultural one. I said, you're of uh, Anglo-Saxon extraction. I'm of Southern Italian extraction. When I see a man or woman in a uniform, I see a man or woman in a uniform. They either honor that uniform or they disgrace it. And he says, what do I see? I said, you see a uniform, then you hear the brass bands, the the beef eaters, and all the royal parade. I don't see any of that. And so you're more, you're more, you're more, you're more likely from an ethno-cultural point of view to just bow to authority and uniforms. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Now, I won mm-hmm. the case, but he was taken yeah. aback by that. But that's what's happening. We have a culture that simply salutes authority 
at first instance without question. The Americans overthrew their government, overthrew the king. They take a different approach. You have to justify mm -hmm. your exercise of power down there. I'm not saying they're perfect, but that explains right now there's a lot of cases that are going against the, uh, the, the government in the States on the COVID measures, a slew of them. Right. And, and, and I believe the civil, civil disobedience is key, and that's what Action for Canada has been trying to do mm -hmm. in, in um, you know, creating these chapters across the nation in order to tell people what their guaranteed 100% rights are, and as well mm -hmm. equipping them. We've had a lot of criticism over the notices of liability. Uh, these, yeah. A notice of liability is just meant to inform somebody that what they're doing is causing harm or it's illegal. In most instances uh, regarding COVID and regarding the SOGI 123, it's both. It's causing harm and illegal. Well, look, and what, right. what we found is that the people that are being served, they're getting lawyers involved, whether it's the unions, the government, they're all right. talking about our notices of liability. Right. So they are right. having a very legitimate impact and it is changing right. uh, the direction of what's going on along with the legal action that we're doing with you. Right. That's right. And well, look at look at when Trudeau broke in wind and said the following: "We live in a vibrant democratic country. Democracy is very healthy in Canada." But <laughs> protesting, protesting outside against government policy is not allowed. Well, when, when do you protest if you're not protesting against government policy? Right. You're protesting He's what? You don't have enough rides at the Canadian National Exhibition. I mean, yeah, you think he, of that statement. It's so asinine. Yeah, yeah, it's so asinine. Everything, yeah. everything he does. I've I've actually got a book that I was going a last a couple of weeks ago. I recommended a book called The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. It's a must read. It's mm -hmm. awesome. And yeah. and this week I was going to recommend one. It's called Why Trudeau is a Great Leader. And um, and deserves respect. And it's Henry Maple, Ph.D., that wrote it. And, and I highly recommend it. I love my son. He gave it to me for Christmas. Oh, it's black. <laughs> <laughs> and it's well, empty, we, right? <laughs> you know, we, we have a saying in my language in Calabria about people like Justin Trudeau. We say that boy is very lucky that he was born after his father. Otherwise, he'd be nowhere. Right. Really, nowhere. That's all he's got going for him. No, That's there, there just it. wouldn't be. Okay, there Rocco, be can anything. I... Can I... Can I ask you, um, I know a lot of people are very concerned about Federal Bill C-11 um, at the federal level and the provincial bill here in B.C. 36. Could you comment right. on both of those? I stick with the, well, the Section 52.1 of the Constitution, but love to hear where you are at it. Well, with B Bill C-36, I don't know if you want me to reveal. I can. That's being challenged. We're challenging that as part of our amendment to our claim. That's the uh, yes. that's the new uh, draconian uh, mandatory vaccination on health workers. If I if I'm correct, that's the bill you're referring to, and the, yes. and the idiotic penalty. Uh, now I don't read the section that people are worried about the same way everybody else does. Uh, there's a section that says uh, if you if if you uh, if you utter if you utter uh, false information with respect uh, to uh, uh, health care. And you're not a healthcare professional. That's that's simply a uh, a uh, a uh, provision that is trying to prevent people who are not qualified from practicing medicine. And that's uh, I have no objection to that. So if you're purporting to be a doctor and you're not a doctor, then you could be heavily fined, and that's fine. But the other one about mandatory vaccines 
for healthcare professionals is insane. C bill C eleven, you're referring to the control of internet content in that. Is that what it is? I haven't yes. had time really to uh, to uh, take a fine tooth comb to that to that legislation. And one of the reasons I've been slow to look at it is I don't think any that that kind that kind of uh, of uh, draconian legislation against free speech is ever going to survive the charter or the constitution. Okay. Right. And, and that's that's where I would take it as well. And so many people are concerned because even, you know, uh, organizations like myself, if they don't like what we're saying, uh, you know, then they can come and shut us down. If it's, it's basically, uh, you know, China 101 all over again in mm-hmm. the censorship and what the government is telling you, just like what you said, you know, as, uh, Trudeau is mm-hmm. always like, uh, you know, we're in a free and democratic society as long as you do what I say. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. And it's funny yeah. you mentioned China, you know, and I've I just glancing quickly, boy, this chat really uh, goes at uh, uh, beyond the uh, speed limit. Uh, so, but people are mentioning this 15-minute city. You know, I lived in a 15-minute city off and on for five years when I was living in China with my first wife. This is a Chinese concept. Uh, back then, they didn't have this massive transportation, so they were just starting off on their free market and uh, capitalist system. You had to live within two miles of where you worked. That was the law in China. Unless you lived in an industrial complex outside, in which case they housed you and fed you, you went there for your shifts and then you went back home. So this is a Chinese concept. It's a communist draconian concept. Right. You know, and here we are. And I don't, and I, I want to pause before we talk about what you were slated to talk about in public inquiries and that. I want to talk about fact, and I, I mentioned this in the VCC uh, statement of claim in 2020, the juncture we're at now, uh, Tanya, is of course we still have to fight these vaccines and masks because it's part of the psych war. They keep coming back, but they've done their damage. Mm-hmm. All the misguided people who want the vaccines have already taken their second and third doses. They're, 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 you know, they've done the damage to those. People who did not and will not ever vaccinate are never going to vaccinate. So now with the public inquiry about the truckers and all of that and all the lawsuits that are coming down and all the analysis on the damage that the vaccines have done, that's where they're going to distract us for the next two or three years while they fully implement digital ID, digital currency, get rid of cash, uh, 15-minute cities, where the real fascist control is going to be implemented. Right. So people right now have to start fighting against that. The, the, the vaccine damage will be dealt with in the lawsuits and all of that. But if people fixate on ruminating on the past, what's going on uh, on the globalist agenda is going to be entrenched before people exactly. realize. And then they'll wake up in two or three years to that nightmare. And I want to share the following stats. Yesterday, I went and uh, uh, because because uh, I pled in the statement of claim three years ago that they're looking what the documents from the WEF and all of that were looking. Uh, they 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 said ideally the world's population by 2050 should should come down by five billion. So when they put out that statement back 2017, I think it was before COVID. 
by 20 by the end of 2019 the start of covid in 2020 the all-cause mortality around the world at the beginning of 2020 was 60 million for 2019. Uh, even with the brief introduction of the vaccines in late 2020, the, the uh, all-cause mortality, and because of the measures of the pandemic, the all-cause mortality for 2020 had gone from, uh, from uh, 58 million in 2019 to 64 million for 2020. It jumped to 68 or 69 million for 2021. And last year it jumped to 72 million. Their magic number, their magic number for a 30 year period to get rid of five, four and a half, five billion people with the sterilization effect of the vaccines is 150 million all cause mortality in a year. So they are slowly and quickly inching to that. Once yeah. they get to that 20 years later, we have four and a half billion people less on the planet. Right. Okay. And it, so as yeah, part of that agenda, stats. yeah, as part of that agenda, now, of course, they're attributing the increase in deaths uh, to COVID rather than the vaccine, even though it defies the publication of how many people they say died of COVID. It's nowhere near. So from from 19, from 2019 to 2022, that was a 22% increase, 22% in all cause, cause mortality. And only one thing explains the difference, mass vaccinations. Right. So, yeah. so now they're moving on and people have to be mindful of, you know, elimination of cash and the digital, the digital currency agenda and digital ID. That's what's going to really clinch us in, into, into prison right. and, uh, and uh, uh, servitude and uh, uh, slavery. Really. Right. And and Rocco, and this is where I'm going to do another plug again for Action for Canada and our chapters is we are mobilizing. I mean, look up the French resistance, my friends. Yeah. Take a look at what it took to um, overturn the govern government's devious plans. Yeah. And it was yeah. that when you mobilize citizens, uh, yeah, you know what? You don't want to go out and stand on a side of a road and have a rally. It is a physical presence, but you're drawing right. people in. We have our Action for Canada signs, but then within the meetings, we are strategically fighting on behalf of our kids. Um, you know, the reason the fight on the front line for our kids, as well as going up against the um, the cities and, and attending the city council meetings and uh, attending the school trustee meetings is because those are the two locations that the government is using to control the future. One is our kids in controlling their minds and marching out little fascists and little Marxists out of the school system and sterilizing them. So that's a number one battle for us, and we're having an incredible success rate. If you don't know what we're what we're doing, Sheila will put some links in the chat. Get involved. And the other side is we need you to go to every single school board meeting and press in against this. Press in against all of this indigenous land rights and all of that crap because it's all part of UNDRIP. It has nothing to do with the rights of indigenous people. And stop complying. Stop even agree coming into agreement with all the ceded territories. When I start a rally or I go to a board meeting, I am saying I thank God and God alone for the ground that I'm standing on. And mm -hmm. you know what? You have to find ways to uh, fight this. Go ahead. Sorry, Rocco. And, and it's fought on the streets. It's fought on the yep. streets. Uh, uh, court cases primarily draw attention and consciences to it. But just on the point of a 15-minute city, uh, you know, Oxford, England, uh, well on the way to one of the first prototypes 
uh, people have to know that it's being run right now as we speak as a pilot project in Edmonton and uh, Toronto. For those who are who are familiar with Toronto, they've approved the 500-acre landmass that today comprises Downsview Airport to build a 15-minute city prototype within that land. They're going to build an entire encircled community, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it, it, where it, you can't you can't go anywhere outside unless you walk. Right. You, you know, the power is in the people. And I'll, I'll give you, a, mm-hmm. you know, an idea, my friends, as to how it works, is they were going to do a smart city. I, I want to say it was in Ontario. It was pre-COVID. And they had all the plans. They had signed up. They'd received their millions of dollars for a smart city where they'd have automatic robots picking up garbage and all the rest of it. And because of the amount of public backlash, it got nixed. All right. And I saw a video, I think it might have been, it was in the UK where they were doing a smart city and they had uh, dug a hole in the ground where they put the pole, there was barriers, and then they could remove this pole and let people, you know, pass if uh, for whatever, you know, they received a permission from the city to travel outside of the 15 minutes. <laughs> people came out and filled it with concrete, right? Yeah. I mean, civil disobedience, get involved. Right. Start, we got to take and down course, these 5G towers. <laughs> and of yeah. course, apart... Uh, apart from China, where they had the system, uh, they didn't have to enforce it. People complied. Where do we see smart cities before? Apartheid South Africa. With mm-hmm. the passes, you need permission to go from one part of the town to another if you were yeah. black. But now it's going to be everybody. Yeah. You know, right. so... And, you know, we had tremendous success in the uh, summer. People were like, oh, I can't, you know, get into or get back home from the United States. And so we started a notice of liability and it was based on the Constitution, the criminal code and the charter rights. Well, wouldn't you know, people who were brave enough were um, approaching the border guards and saying, I don't comply and I have a right and here's my passport. I'm a free citizen. And I'm not talking about uh, freaky common law. I'm saying that I have the freedom, according to the charter, to move freely and i have the freedom to enter canada and when you know we're winning and people are winning in the courts right now with their tickets it call all comes down to they can wave their little magic wand and tell people you know what their rules are but if it's not in line with the constitution and the charter of rights those are 100 percent guaranteed rights for you and one of the reasons that they're flooding us with immigrants from china and and nations where they are used to living under tyranny is because they're true afraid to stand up so my chinese friends my friends, you stand up. You're in a free country. Right. And, uh, you know, you are you are free when you withdraw your consent to be governed by the state and be governed by the Constitution. Mm-hmm. That's it. I uh, Just on a chat note here, Tanya, I see quite a few, yep. uh, uh, quite a few uh, people asking, is Rocco going to be able to answer questions? And the answer is yes. I'll take questions, but I don't guarantee I'll answer all of them. Meaning some right. questions are refused to answer, but go ahead. Yeah. Okay. And so what I'm going to do is I've got my team sending me emails, uh, sorry, um, messages with questions uh, that we, that are coming out of the Q&A. So we're going to try and hit as many as possible. When we go live, uh, we're having a lot of people having trouble with putting their Zoom mic on. So let me see what I can get through here first. And uh, then if we uh, get to time to do lives, we'll do that. we before we do that? Yes, we do want to talk about inquiries as well. Uh, So about the government inquiries and the truckers convoy, I know a lot of people have put a lot of weight on those, but but how do you feel about a a government inquiry? Well, 
I, you know, if you let me, if you, if you let me five minutes to explain, so I can give uh, the sort of the lay of land of what inquiries are and what they're not. So there are different, there are d- different types of inquiries in our in our political and legal system. The first one is legislative inquiries, where the legislative body itself conducts the inquiry. So we've seen those like parliamentary committee inquiries and in the states, congressional or senatorial inquiries. Those those inquiries, the rules are set by the legislative house, not by the executive, not by the president, not by the prime minister. They're bipartisan. Different parties have a right to participate in those inquiries. Then you have two other types of inquiries, which are inquiries under the various inquiries act where a commission of inquiry is 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 chosen, and you have royal commission inquire uh, commission commissions. They're very similar, and the 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 important thing about those, as opposed to legislative inquiries, is they're struck by the executive. Not only are they is the commissioner or the commission members chosen by the executive, the government. But the terms of the inquiry are not free-ranging. They are set by the government, and they cannot exceed the terms of those uh, that the inquiry. So it's the government that on, not only sets the terms of the, uh, the inquiry, but also chooses the person who's going to conduct the inquiry. They're not, they're not as democratic as the legislative inquiry. So, for instance, right now, in the States, Japan, I think, uh, and a few other Western countries, they've struck legislative inquiries on the harm the, the vaccines have caused. Okay? So the third, the third type of inquiry that, that exists is a good old-fashioned police investigation. <laughs> and that, that is more impartial than any of the other two, because the other three, rather, are political in nature. Okay, so here's the problem. Uh, now, dealing with executive-struck public inquiries, it's been my view, my strong view as a constitutional lawyer, as an observer of inquiries over the 34 years I've been practicing law, that most government, virtually most government inquiries serve two purposes. One is to whitewash the wrongdoing of government officials and to ignore actually dealing with the problem of the wrongdoing of the officials. And two, more sinister, uh, is that by issuing subpoenas to these government wrongdoers, they're immunized from criminal prosecution from any of the evidence they give or any of the derivative evidence coming from what the the evidence they, they gave. So if you're a smart witness who's done something wrong, you admit to it at the inquiry because they can't prosecute it for you. Uh, they can't prosecute you for it. And the reason for that is Section 13 of the Charter, and I'll read it to you, Tanya. Section 13 of the Charter says, and it's it's uh, subentitled self-incrimination, a witness who, had, who testifies in any proceeding has the right not to have any incriminating evidence so given used to incriminate that witness in any other proceeding, except in a prosecution for perjury. So that means if somebody goes up there and says, yeah, yeah, I broke the criminal code, yeah, I committed criminal offenses, 
in a public inquiry under subpoena, they can never be charged for that offense. You got it? So that's why we have these public inquiries. And, the, and, and moreover, the really cynical idea of striking a public inquiry as a smoke and mirror to give the misimpression that you're actually doing something about the problem. How many missing Indigenous women inquiries have we had? We've had three, mm -hmm. and then we had a fourth aborted one. What have they done with the problem of missing Indigenous women, including not charging all the police officers who just shrugged it off and refused to investigate? They've done nothing. The problem is not going away. Three and a half inquiries, and nothing has happened. But people get the impression, oh, yeah, they're dealing with it. What else do these missing murdered women want and right. their families? So that's the problem with public inquiries. I have no time or need for it. Right. You know, they don't yeah, do anything. There's... Now, I, 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 I think a lot of people now are talking about citizens' inquiry and uh, mm -hmm. inquiries, and you, you asked me if I can comment about them. Again, a citizens' inquiry, while it sounds great, has also has pitfalls to it because a citizen's inquiry is no more than a podcast, okay? It's got no legal effect. It binds no one. But when you structure it to make it look like an actual inquiry, there's a lot of people out there who think it's for real. So the perfect, the perfect example I have, and I've seen it no less than seven times on this chat, Nuremberg 2.0. Right? What is that? Mm -hmm. It came out of Reiner out in Germany, and I used to get hate mail when he did his citizens. He didn't call it a citizens inquiry. When he struck his inquiry, I used to get hate mail saying, yeah. why aren't you doing something like Reiner over in Germany and conducting prosecutions for crimes against humanity? And I said, show me where he's doing that. All he's got is a masqueraded citizens inquiry right right i don't know if you remember all all I the do. stuff on internet they were thinking yep. he was actually doing prosecutions he's there with his team of commissioners interviewing people giving testimony well he, he was not conducting anything official okay am i saying well, that there's no value in that no it could educate people it could draw attention to the problem but you got to be very careful how you put it over because people actually thinking you're doing something and they sit at home waiting for you to solve the problem instead of taking their own action in their own backyard. So right. I've never had any time whatsoever for a citizen's inquiry because the very title is misleading. It gives it an air of officiality that it doesn't have. And it gives it an air that somebody's doing something with the problem. And past, past the point of providing useful information, it's not an inquiry. Okay? Right. They have I no appreciate subpoena you power. 
Yeah, huh? I, I, I appreciate you clarifying this, uh, Rocco, because there's a lot of uh, pressure for myself to support. There's a citizen inquiry going on in Canada, and I haven't had a lot of time to look into it. But, uh, you know, we're very busy with our action and other things that we're doing. So I always wish others all the best. But I understand, you know, that they want to raise a million dollars for it. And uh, Brian Peckford has uh, been quite vocal lately because he was a director and he's pulled out uh, because Preston. Manning is in a position where he's taken uh, $250,000 from the Alberta government on an inquiry. And and so I know there's some controversy there. And I, I just feel bad for people that, you know, they're desperate and they're trusting people when they're donating their funds. And, um, you know, it's just really important to sometimes have these conversations just to clarify it for people so then they can make a decision. If people want to support this, absolutely support it. But make sure that you're going in being informed um, on what it is that, uh, you know, you're partaking in, participating in. Everybody needs hope right now. And right. Um, no, I know and, that we and, know that we wear that ourselves at Action for Canada in this case, too, with our case. And don't get me wrong, and I don't want your listeners mm-hmm. to misunderstand me. I'm not saying don't participate or don't watch mm-hmm. Citizens Inquiry. But I'm saying understand what they are in essence. Okay, they're not what you what they're put out to be. And I know that from the misapprehension of all those people who sent me hate mail Mm -hmm. uh, that. I wasn't do. I wasn't prosecuting like Reiner. And I said, Reiner's not prosecuting anything. Mm -hmm. He's got got some colleagues and friends who are bringing forward information, but he structured Mm -hmm. it as if it were a court proceeding. And it's not. Right. And And I know that you had a lot of that's not a. You know, for a lawyer, that shouldn't be happening. You should be more transparent and clear about what you're actually doing. I think he cleaned up his act uh, in part because people saying, listen, you're giving people the wrong impression here. People think, you know, and I had a I had a talk, I had a call to him and I said, you're giving people the wrong impression. I'm getting hate mail. They think you're running an actual prosecution. You say, where the hell do they get that idea? Well, I said, look at your videos. That's where. Right. He was astounded that people thought that. Yet he's not aware of what he's putting across. And of course, everybody thought that. You know, well, again, it's a it's a matter of wanting hope in something. Right. And why is Reiner Fulmick going full bore, Rocco? And you're still sitting on some fence having, uh, you know, a a nice drink or (laughs) eating bonbons. And okay, I like I like Reiner. I respect (laughs) what he does. Okay, for what it is. Okay, but you shouldn't you shouldn't even innocently lead people up a a hope filled garden path is what I'm saying. Okay, so that's all. That's all I got to say about inquiries, unless you have any questions. Nope, that's good. Let's let's fire off and get into the questions. I see there's like 60 there. I don't know how we'll get through them all. But thanks. You've been you've already said you're going to be generous with your time. (laughs) Yeah, it's a longer evening for you than me. So don't don't feel guilty. Go ahead. All right. All right. I, I haven't really read these in advance, so we'll, I'll read the question. And if you decide to answer, say caveats, pass next two one. Two caveats. I will not answer any fact-specific questions that go to some person's personal. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you understand? So yep, if, perfect. if somebody has a question, I did this and this happened to me, what should I do? I will not answer that. I, it's, it's, it's improper for me as a lawyer right. over, over the screen to do that. Okay? And I will not answer... Anything that will divulge solicitor client 
litigation strategy. Okay, with that right. caveat, go okay. ahead. So no legal advice being given tonight. Okay. No. All right. So will Canadian citizens have to submit to digital IDs, uh, as the PM has discussed with all premiers recently, in order to access health services and to travel in Canada or abroad? If yes, what is each citizen's recourse to fight this? I think we've kind well, of answered that already. You pro- well, you, you refuse at every turn. You protest. And obviously, I anticipate we'll be taking legal challenge to that. Okay. You know, All right. but, but resistance on the ground is more effective. And the earlier the resistance, the better. Okay. Okay. I've, uh, okay. Uh, this one was regarding the NOLs, but you can answer that. I've heard the NOLs don't have actual legal authority. Are they actually a legal weapon we can use? Okay. The term NOL is is confusing because in certain western provinces like bc and alberta a notice of liability is an actual legal document that you file in court it is the equivalent of a statement of claim in ontario or quebec if you're not filing it in the court no it doesn't trigger a legal proceeding but it puts the other side on notice that you may be legally liable up the road and we may. So as a tool of communicating an objection and make, mm-hmm. making a stand and telling people, hey, in my view, this is what you're doing that's against the law. Of course, it's, it's a valid notice. Yeah. But it doesn't have any legal effect in the sense that until you file the actual notice of liability in court, the people you're handing it to don't have to directly answer. But as you said, they're reacting. They're calling their lawyers because they're, it's affecting them. It's it's disturbing their sleep, which is good, yes. which is good. It's a good thing. <laughs> okay. Right. And the, the key is it can be used if you do decide to go and take legal action. You can have evidence that you fully inform them that what they right. were doing was they either causing they harm can't or pretend, illegal. They, they can't pretend. I had never heard of this complaint before. That's the point. Yeah. Right. right. That's okay. the other effective uh, use. All right. And I want to apologize. Somebody said, Tanya, quit interrupting Rocco when you were speaking earlier. But sometimes there's a pause and I think you've stopped talking. (laughs) So I go to speak. So my apologies if that's coming across as me interrupting Rocco. Well, you have a hard time winning in interrupting with a Southern Italian, let me tell you. They don't understand. I need to interrupt to get a word in. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) That's true. Okay. Uh, You're fun. I love you. Okay, do you trust the judicial system? I fear many judges have been compromised and corrupted with payoffs or threats. I don't think they've been at all corrupted with payoffs or threats. First of all, they're handsomely paid. Okay, second of all, uh, I think uh, they've been corrupted by their own cultural bent and fear. Mm. But it's not intentional. It's not because the government has told them decide this way or the other way. It's because they're overly conservative. I've said it. I, I filed a factum in the divisional court that says, and we're getting heard on the March 30th, that said that the divisional court is exuding a palpable and visible bias towards the CPSO, the regulator against doctors on all COVID-19 related litigation. And I've said that what the divisional court has decided and how it's decided drags the administration of justice into disrepute. I don't think they've been bribed or threatened into that. 
It's just that they're acting like a lot of the population out of fear. Okay. So, right. so I will not say that they've been paid off because I don't think that they have. I will not say that they got threatened because some judges have ruled in favor. They've been overturned, but they've ruled in favor of a rational analysis of what's going on. Uh, but I think they're just afraid and they say, we don't want to decide public health. Let the public health people decide, it, which is very dangerous. In doing so, they're ignoring binding jurisprudence from the Supreme Court of Canada and pretending it doesn't exist. That's a, an in, that's an in, uh, that's corruption in the sense of they're breaching their oath as judges, but it's not an intentional corruption as we know it. Okay. They're just being, and this is not new when they don't like where the law takes them, some of them. Uh, uh, you know, the the uh, the courts simply are dishonest with the law. Right. You know, and, you know, yeah. and people say, oh, you can't say that. You get in trouble with the law society. Well, I can say that because the Judicial Council guidelines say that bias and breach of their oath to act impartially is grounds for removal as a judge. So we know it happens if it's grounds yes. for removal. Otherwise, they wouldn't have that. In the right. judicial council's well, they, code of conduct for judges, right. so they, it's they, not, they, you know, the CJ, yeah, the CJC just recommended uh, on December twenty second that a, a judge be removed. So it it does happen. Yeah. This would be a it good time happen, to yeah. ask then the the question talking about this because it says uh, just for the public so they know what does it mean when the court takes judicial notice, and can oh, you God. give some examples in the context? Okay. Judicial notice is taken in very rare circumstances, normally, pre-COVID. <laughs> Everything changed with COVID. Judicial notice is something that a court can, can accept as evidence on matters of notor notorious facts that are known and non-disputed. So, for instance, the courts have taken judicial notice of the fact that the Holocaust happened in World War II. You no longer have to prove judicial notice of the fact that the Holocaust happened. If you were counting how many people perished in the Holocaust, if that was an issue for whatever bizarre reason, then you'd have to prove that. Okay? I can't see that ever being an issue. So the courts are now bypassing the rules and requirement of evidence. The leading case on judicial notice is Regina versus Find, F-I-N-D where Chief Justice McLaughlin said, you can take judicial notice of notorious events. So, for instance, you can take judicial notice, and they have, that the WHO declared a global pandemic for COVID-19, and that the governments, federal and provincial, declared a COVID-19 pandemic. What Regina versus Fine said very clearly is you cannot take judicial notice of a scientific fact. And so now with the COVID, these courts are getting lazy and they're outrageously taking some of them judicial notice that the vaccine is effective and safe. That's a scientific right. fact, which is belied by the fact that if you can take judicial notice of that, that they're effective and safe, you can take judicial notice that they're not for a good number of people because they've they've implemented a COVID-19 vaccine compensation fund. So the government of Canada has conceded that these vaccines in some people will cause injury or death. So 
this is where the courts are going. So, for instance, you 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 cannot take judicial notice of any scientific fact, only events. You can take judicial notice that the government has approved the temporary inoculation as being effective and safe. That doesn't make it so. That has to be if you're contesting that. Uh, that statement by the government, you're entitled to call evidence and say, no, this is not true. So another famous case that was dealt with judicial notice was a refugee case in which case, in which the Federal Court of Appeal, with respect to a Ghanaian client, uh, claimant, he testified at the hearing that they, they, they surreptitiously, slowly, over months and months, created a hole in their cell which was located on the exterior wall of the prison. And they escaped at night to that hole one night for them. And the, and, the, and the panel asked them, how big was the hole? And the guy raised his hand and said, about the size of a soccer ball. And the decision came down and said, we find a complete lie. It's completely incompatible. incompatible. We take judicial notice of the fact that no human being can fit through a hole the size of a soccer ball. And the Federal Court of Appeals said, you can't take judicial notice of that. What size soccer ball did the guy envisage when he said a soccer ball? They didn't ask for the dimensions of the soccer ball. How big was this guy? Was he thin, mm -hmm. fat? Was he able to contort his body in a way to fit through that hole? So without all these surrounding facts, you can't just blanket say, nobody can fit through a hole the size of a soccer ball. Now, that's right. how rare judicial notice is, okay? You can't take notice of physical facts like that, scientific facts. But right. the so courts in COVID, mostly in family cases, are taking judicial notice. But the irony is that in family cases, they all make it clear that we're not deciding whether the children should be vaccinated or not. We're deciding which parent gets to decide, which is really a fig leaf, right? Mm -hmm. which is a fig leaf. So judicial notice in the COVID context has the potential, has the potential to throw the entire system of law and rule of law out the window. Because we yeah, then can take judicial notice that judicial notice that if X percentage of people in prison are this race, then you're like, I take judicial notice that you're likely guilty. Right. Well, in, in, shit, in right? just yeah, some so somebody is, clearly understands this um, this act of the judicial notice. It's when something is so obvious that the court won't debate on it. Example: the sky is blue. The sky is blue. We're not going to have another yeah. conversation about this. So they're taking that, and in in these cases, they're saying the uh, COVID vaccine is safe. The sky is blue. The COVID vaccine is is safe. So you know this is not up for debate in the courts. And and is this i mean there must be a way the only way i'm thinking is to bring in expert witnesses to counter this um in the court systems and i don't think individuals such as a single mother has the opportunity you know especially to get a world-renowned expert witnesses especially when they're self-represented right okay so that's right. a good example you raised because you know the sky is not blue okay <laughs> okay here we go the sky as a result of the sun piercing through it and through the atmosphere, 
gives the impression that the sky is blue. There's no color to the sky. As the water is not blue because it's reflecting the light from the sky. Look, the sky. So, too, the sky is not blue. <laughs> okay. okay. I'll, I'll tell just you, ruined my I'll analogy, Marco. <laughs> okay. So, I'll tell you another example, a real example of a case I argued in federal court on judicial notice. And I was saying, you know, they, the panel couldn't take judicial notice of this. And I was giving the trial judge the example of the soccer ball from the Federal Court of Appeal. And he was bound by Federal Court of Appeal. And I like this judge. We used to get into these arguments. He was like me. He was, you know, visceral, hot, you know, hot tempered. And uh, so he says, well, yeah, you know, I said, judicial notice is extremely rare. And I read him the law. He says, oh, yeah, but like you can check. There's a lot of things you can take judicial notice uh, uh, such as the, the the date and time the day and time on the calendar. I said, well, in most cases you can. He says, what do you mean? Well, if the issue is when is the contract signed re- uh, remotely between Tokyo and Toronto, you're dealing with two different ca- two different calendar dates because of the time zone differences, right? Okay, so if it has to be signed by a certain date and the 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 contract is governed by Ontario law. You may be out of time unless it's governed by Japanese law, right? He said, okay, okay. Well, you know, the, the, the directions of the earth, north, south, east, west. I said, mostly you can take judicial notice of that. He says, when can I not take judicial notice of north, south, east, west? I said, if you're standing in the Arctic Circle, there is no east, west. Every direction is south. And if you're standing on the Antarctic Circle, there is no east, west either. Everything is north. Right. And so he Brilliant. starts getting exasperated. Right? Right, and then he says imagine. to me, he says to me, OK, you know, both, you know, you say there's two sides of every coin. You're the kind of guy, he says to me, if I point one to one side of the coin, you point to the second side. So luckily I had a loony in my pocket and I said, well, on that point, my Lord, I held up the rim. I said, a coin has three sides. The third side <laughs> prevents the two other sides from looking at each other. And he lost it. And he recessed <laughs> for a coffee. And he came back and he turned to the Crown Attorney and said, yeah, what about this judicial notice? They couldn't do this, right? So, this I mean, there's brilliant. simple examples, right? They're simple mm-hmm. examples. But pre-COVID, that's how rare judicial notice is. Okay, Mm -hmm. you cannot take anything that's physical or scientific as a fact without evidence. Right. How can you determine that a vaccine in your body is safe on judicial notice just on the statement that the government says it's safe? I remember when the government for three years, despite cries to the contrary, saying thalidomide is safe. Right. You remember that? How many children mm-hmm. were born with no limbs? Mm-hmm. Because the government said it's safe. Was it yeah. so? No, no. Yeah. So this is this is brilliant, Rocco, and this is why I call you the top constitutional lawyer yeah. and go on and on about you and to all the naysayers. I mean, they've they've just got to watch this show because you you are brilliant and you bring that to the courts. And this is mm-hmm. uh, you know why I truly believe that we're going to have success. We have um, those expert witnesses to come in and challenge the the courts on this, and you're just going to blow them away. Okay, let me see if I can get mm-hmm. through some of these more questions, <laughs> some more of them. Okay, sure. is it? Um, no, somebody's asking if there's someone they can speak to in your office if they have questions, uh, phone number and contact name. 
<laughs> Shall well, we make I'm that available the, I'm right the, now? <laughs> I'm, I, I'm in the book. They can look me up and call. There you go. Okay. Okay. So uh, something just happened. Is there, uh, okay. Is it uh, consequential that the provincial representatives in Quebec no longer need to pledge allegiance to the monarch before taking office? Should we worry about the swift manner in which the change was adopted? And why does Quebec seem to have power, powers other provinces do not enjoy? Well, it's not true that they have other provinces they do not enjoy. Uh, I, I, I actually salute Premier Daniel uh, is it Smith in, uh, in Alberta. That's Alberta, though. We're talking about Quebec here, but no, all right. I in, no, yeah, okay. I point this out because she enacted the Sovereignty Act, which I've read. And contrary to all the Federalist monkeys and parrots, I think it's totally constitutional. We awesome. have in Canada a system of division of power, right? And so certain offices require allegiance to Her Majesty to take your office, but that's completely legislative. The government of the province or the federal government could remove that requirement. It's not a constitutional requirement to take an allegiance to Her Majesty or His, His Majesty and Right of the Queen either. Okay, it's not a constitutional requirement. It's imposed by legislation. So, for instance, I'll tell you, I was I was involved in the movement to remove the requirement, uh, the requirement of lawyers to have to take an allegiance to Her Majesty to be lawyers, because I felt if we had to have an allegiance, it should be the Constitution, because the Constitution applies mm -hmm. that's against Her Majesty. So, why am I taking allegiance to Her Majesty when I often fight Her Majesty? So we failed in our uh, we failed in our uh, we failed in our bid uh, in court. But at my call at the bar, before my call, they used to they used to every individual lawyer has to take a quick oath. And my, uh, the year of my call and since they they did a joint oath with all 600 students getting called to the bar. And my graduating class at the bar was the first and last. To, to swear allegiance to Freddie Mercury and Queen. We didn't say Her Majesty the Queen. We swore allegiance to Queen. Okay. They later removed that requirement at the Law Society because they realized it was problematic. How can you swear allegiance to the monarch and be expected to fight the monarch mm -hmm. in that particular context of being a lawyer? So people do not anymore have to swear allegiance to the Queen to be called to the bar. Okay, right. so and, it's and not where... a constitutional requirement. So that Quebec has the right to do that. Now, Daniel okay. Smith, they're saying she can't order her provincial officials to ignore federal law. I say that's not true if the feds are encroaching on exclusive provincial jurisdiction. She has a right to stay off the status quo until they go to court and get a declaration on a reference whether she's her provincial officials are bound by this federal law, which the province says, hey, you're entrenching on our jurisdiction under section 92 because we don't have a unitary state in canada we have a state of sovereign provinces with exclusive jurisdiction in their own spheres to the feds and vice versa it's a federation it's not a it's not a, a unitary country so we have his majesty and right of canada but then we have his majesty and right of the provinces each province right. has a different fictional, fictional majesty in accordance with their heads of power under the Constitution. So 
I think it's nothing more than a political statement. I don't think it changes anything. Quebec is still bound by the charter. The courts have ruled that time and again. So it, it doesn't really change much, right? And they have the right to do that. Provincially, they can say, these offices don't require allegiance to the queen anymore. Right, okay. And, and, and if you so- think about it, not to be, I don't want to be American, but I think after the Constitution came in, where it says in the Constitution, this Constitution binds Her Majesty the Queen, then everybody, who's the highest power in Canada? Not the Queen anymore. It's the Constitution. Mm-hmm. So we should all be swearing public office in allegiance with, with the Constitution. Because if, if you're a public office holder, you don't follow Her Majesty's lead. You have to be, be, be directed by constitutional requirements even a police officer. So you don't swear allegiance to Her Majesty because she's putting in the laws that are unconstitutional that you're helping her breach against private citizens. So I think the oath of office should be switched to allegiance to the Constitution. The police officer's oath now says that they're going to uphold the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. They, They swear to that, which is right. So I know all you loyalists out there, you know, are saddened by the idea that Her, Her Majesty is gone and His Majesty <laughs> is not going to have the power he did, but it's just the evolving nature of our society. It changed in right. 1982 when we patriated our Constitution. Well, is right. it, it, that's correct as well. And, and is this where I was talking about this book about the doctrine of the lesser magistrates? Because it clearly says that someone like uh, Daniel Smith, that they people have a duty, officers have a duty, elected officials yeah. have a duty, that when the federal government or anybody is asking to do something that is illegal or in violation of our charter and constitution, they have a duty to not be complicit right. with it. Right. right. And uh, so um, somebody but, had said in the chat more that Quebec... I'm sorry, it's even more pronounced when it deals with laws that entrench on exclusive provincial jurisdiction. And they expect the provincial officers to enforce that illegal federal law. That's not for them to enact. It's for the province. And until the courts clear it up, why should they have injustice? Danielle Smith is saying, no, we're not going to apply it until you go to court and get the right. permission of the Supreme Court to enforce it. Why should before, Why should they enforce an illegal law that's going to take five, six years for Alberta to fix. They should maintain the status quo. Well, the tables have turned here, right? Because they are passing these bills, like Bill C-19, whatever, the emergency bills provincially. And they're saying, oh, if you don't like it, you have to do a constitutional challenge and fight in the courts. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Uh, so mm-hmm. how do you feel about the RCMP coming to me if, when, as I've had meetings with them and, uh, you know, based on the lesser magistrate and their duty to uphold the Constitution and the Charter of Rights? And they're saying, well, no, Bill, Bill C-19 is is uh, Bill 19 is legislated. So you have to do a constitutional challenge. And it's the courts that have to tell us, uh, you know, um, instruct us to investigate or not comply with it. How do you feel about uh, about that scenario? I'm sorry, I missed that because I was looking at a chat post that said on what we were talking about, sorry, according to the Canadian People's Union, the Canadian (laughs) Constitution still lies in the UK. I'm sorry, you're wrong for two reasons. The Canada Act 1982 uh, in England from the Imperial Parliament at Westminster set the Constitution here. When the Constitution was passed, the Canadian Indigenous groups went to the to the House of Lords in England 
and said, we got a short end of the stick. We want you to change the terms of the Constitution in Canada. And the House of Lords said, I, you don't understand. Her Majesty the Queen has nothing to do with Canada anymore in terms of the structure. Go home. So this mm -hmm. this gentleman or Pascal Brisson is is wrong. It does not reside according to the their top court and the terms of the Canada Act 1982 in Britain, uh, in England. It's here. There's a lot of problems that are posed. Like we still have the outstanding. In my view, for instance, the head of state is the Governor General now, not the monarch in 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 England, because the Governor General in theory represents the monarch, but the monarch is not the monarch unless he or she is physically in Canada. But when they're not here, it's the governor general who's the head of state. Anyway, that's an issue right. that'll be resolved eventually. That's okay. I'm just going to back up too, because somebody said Quebec did not sign the charter. It doesn't matter. The courts, the courts, I, I agree. And if I were Quebec at the time, I wouldn't sign, I would not have signed it either. There was dirty back dealing, but mm -hmm. the amendment formula that was set out by the Imperial Parliament was complied with, and the, both the Quebec courts and the Supreme Court of Canada said they didn't sign, but they're still bound by it. Okay, thanks for clarifying that. Okay, I just want to get back to the RCMP for a moment. And uh, your question. I'm sorry. Yeah, so their position is that uh, we feel that they're duty bound to the Constitution Charter of Rights, and they've been violating that. Uh, they've been not. Uh, they have not been going in and arresting uh, the the criminals, uh, whether they're in office or not, who are violating citizens' rights outright. And the top RCMP in BC have said to me that until our our legal action goes before the courts, it has to be a constitutional challenge. Um, it's by another number and name in each province, but in BC, it's Bill 19 is the Emergency Measures uh, Act in BC. And they're saying that that is legislation and that so, so therefore the RCMP have to comply with it, even though it's in conflict with the Charter and the Constitution. How does that work? Well, you want the short answer or long answer? Oh, well, Rocco, let's give me your whatever you like. What's on your heart? <laughs> Short answer is full of shit. Longer answer, he does not know what he's talking about. Right. And the last short answer is he's wrong. Right. A police officer can decline to enforce the law if it's unconstitutional. Right. He's trying to tell me if there's a law that says if you're out after curfew and you're black, shoot, shoot to kill. It's okay. He's going to shoot to kill. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, haven't we seen this before through history? Right. You know, didn't Hitler I mean, have I, laws to kill Jews that, right? that were democratically passed, by the way? They were passed in the in the uh, Reichstag. All mm -hmm. everything Hitler did was democratically passed through their democratic process. What did that, that make it legal? No, no, no. So there you have it, folks. This is this is I'm I, I'm just glad to have this conversation, you know, because uh, going into headquarters and having these conversations and also official and telling me that I have to get to the court. We have to have affidavits. We've provided them affidavits. I've provided them and everything you could possibly imagine. And to me, I'm calling out to all the RCMP and police officials. Uh, you have a duty uh, to oppose what you're being asked to do and be men. Stand up. Be men. Be women. <laughs> Stand up yeah. and support your fellow Canadians. All right. Uh, Rocco, how much time, more time do you have? 
Yeah, you can go on. I'm fine. I'm fine. Go on. Okay. I'm, I'm uh, you know, sometimes these conversations, are, you know, the answer is a bit lengthy, and I hope people are respecting this and enjoying it. So can a person mm-hmm. sue where an, an exemption was not respected? A what? Can, can somebody, can a person sue, probably their employer maybe, where an exemption was not respected? Uh, it, it, that's a nuanced question. Certainly in Ontario, mm-hmm. for instance, where you can exempt yourself from masking, yeah, you can sue if they don't if if they don't uh, respect your exemption. If they don't accept your exemption to the vaccine because it's a constitutional right to refuse any medical treatment, yes, you can. Okay, and, and I know that you and now. I that's happening now yeah. in the labor context, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. perfect. And uh, for mo- most of the country, though, people, uh, you know, had to go for religious exemptions. And we decided never to uh, support yeah. having exemptions because we felt very strongly that there's nothing to be exempt from. And instead, we took the NOL position of it, saying these are are 100 uh, yeah. percent rights. At the, Con- at the Constitutional Rights Center, we were asked hundreds of times to assist with exemptions. And our policy is absolute we will not assist with uh, 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 requesting or facilitating any exemption because the request to facilitate an exemption implies that you are okay with the law and we take the position that that to force somebody to vaccinate is unconstitutional and you have a right Mm -hmm. to exempt yourself under the constitution so why would you seek an exemption from an idiot employer right. to respect your constitutional rights, which has already been recognized by the Supreme Court of Canada. Mm-hmm. So that's our view on that. Yeah, and that's been ours. And get yourself in a position, use our notices of liability. Um, even if it's a business, I went into a medical facility for an emergency eye appointment with my mom a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I tell you, my mom's 82 mm-hmm. and she just refused to wear that mask. I served them. Uh, they were just shaken and they were very, very concerned. But if there comes a time when legal actions are going to be unfolding here, I can revisit that potentially and be a greater advocate mm-hmm. for my mom. And there will be justice from these from these uh, fascist dictators in the doctor's offices. Okay, did Ontario, this is this was something dear to my heart as well uh, about what's happened in the nursing homes. Uh, they never had a right to do anything they did to any of our um, elderly people or withhold loved ones from going in and seeing them. So did Ontario nursing homes ever have the legal authority given to them by the province to refuse indoor access to residents from visitors who were not vaccinated? Indirectly, they did because they allowed these private, which I say is a constitutional violation. They allowed private entities to make their own rules. And what if their government, because I I know somebody here in BC, they have their elderly. Yeah, if their government, if their government, no, they can't. It's a constitutional violation. Again, you know, it's. 86 percent of all those who died from COVID, according to the government, were in long-term care facilities. Mm-hmm. Average age of every person who died in the long-term facilities was 83.4 years of age, average. The life expectancy in Canada is 81, 81.2 or something like that. So there you have yeah. COVID, a non-pandemic. Right. Yeah. And uh, then you go in and you calculate those that uh, were forced to take the jab 
and how their life right. was shortened or even just purely right. dying from loneliness. I had so many calls and right. I, I, I shed well, some tears myself over this matter. So the English did a study of Alzheimer's patients in 2020. They compared two months, one in 2019. I'm sorry, one April of 2020, just after the pandemic was declared, and April of 2021, and they found that on the average, 10,000 more, 10, more Alzheimer's patients died a month. A month? Than pre, a month than pre-COVID, yes. Yes. Yeah. And that was from the well, complications that, of Alzheimer's and, and being isolated with yeah. no contact. Yeah. Well, I take a look so. at, you know, people with Alzheimer's and, uh, you know, testimonies from family members where there is an essence of uh, knowing who that person is at some degree or level. And then you take that away from them and they have yeah. no understanding of it as well. Right. So psychologically, yeah. that would play a major role in, in their lives. So thank you for that, Rocco. Um, I thought the law was above all. So who has the last word, the law or the government? Well, the courts and the law has have the last word. The courts have the last word. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is why we need to also be applying pressure to the judiciary. And uh, mm -hmm. because if you feel that it, you have to come with evidence, you can't just make a complaint just because you don't like a ruling of a judge. If you feel that a judge has breached, breached his oath of office, you can file complaints. There's something that you can do about that, but you need to provide the evidence. And uh, but it takes it takes your time. It takes your energy and your effort. We've got to hit this at all levels, just like what they're doing to us. All right. Um, question. I recently heard the charter was wasn't properly ratified or signed off on. And so technically is not enforceable. Is there any truth to that? No. OK, next question. Since Trudeau lied under oath at the commission, can he be found in contempt or charged with perjury? He can, you, but you got to get somebody to charge the prime minister with perjury and to charge a cabinet minister or prime minister, you need the personal consent of the attorney general, mm -hmm. which is not going to yeah. happen. And even if you get him charged by justice of the peace, the crown can step in any time and take over the prosecution and withdraw the charges. So with the uh, governor general being in cahoots with uh, the prime minister. And uh, as you said, we can't go to his majesty, the king, and ask for him to mm. be removed, not that he would if he even had the power. Uh, what are we looking at here, Rocco, potentially, with Trudeau? You're looking at a dumbass Canadian population who keeps voting this asshole into office. That's mm -hmm. what you're looking at. Yeah. And what about those I who say, say the elections were rigged? I think that's that's partially true in the states. There's a lot of evidence of Trump being deprived of his election. And with the Dominion voting machines now, you can't verify any voting fraud. With yeah. the electronic vote counting, it's non-verifiable. You know, for 300 years, this continent had no problem counting physical ballots and having a result within two to three days. And why did that have to change but for an open door to fraud? Right. And, right? You, and you know how and, and people, you know how you change this is you get start getting involved in the system. You start being the one well, that. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Governor DeSantis in Florida banned electronic voting. 
Mm-hmm. It's all hard copy voting. You know, for those of you who are too young to remember, in the old days, when the ballot boxes were open, you had a, a member of a, a scrutineer from every different party, the major parties, looking over the same ballot and saying, yeah, NDP over there, liberal over there. I don't think it's a clear over there and we'll we'll dispute it later. That's how it worked. Mm-hmm. Now you get 400,000 votes in a riding in a, in a county in the United States in the federal election that went all for Joe Biden. Is that conceivably possible that there wasn't a single Republican vote in that batch of 400,000 electronic votes in that same county? Are you kidding me? Yeah. That's why this has to be challenged, my friends. We had uh, Dominion voting machines here in Surrey and in Chilliwack in this uh, last election uh, throughout British Columbia. And uh, you need to get in. You need to take over the municipalities. Sorry, Rocco. Yep. There's a man in Naples, computer genius, who pled guilty to eight years in prison for, you know, remotely manipulating the votes in the Trump-Biden election. At the, he says at the request of Barack Obama, because Barack Obama was a good friend of the Italian president, who's ancient, he's a, close to 90. And he pled eight years to prison for that. And people say he's a conspiracy theorist. Really? He was looking at 16 or 18 years. But really, somebody would plead guilty to 12 years of prison just to be a conspiracy theorist? Really? You believe that, mm-hmm. correct? And he admitted, yeah, he was manipulating votes for Biden remotely from Naples in favor of Biden. Uh, to defeat Trump. There's, and, and here's the thing. The courts, this is where the courts fail because they're not equipped to do that. There are thousands of elections at different levels every year in the United States. The courts do not want to invigilate elections. This is why vote challenges are rarely successful in the states. They don't want to open that door that every time there's a challenge, they have to go in and invigilate. They say, we don't care. Right. Basically. So they won't they won't review that. It's not that they think it's not happening, but they'll figure, well, you're in politics. If you think that these electronic votes are 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 being manipulated, ban them. Yeah. Get the political this will is... like the Santis did to ban them. Yeah. And and I'll and I'll tell you, you know, people can think that uh, you know, there's a small thread. I call it the small remnant is action for Canada. We got a lot of people on our email list. But when I look at our chapter leaders and our actual active members and how we are turning the direction of things in Canada, especially regarding the Soji books and the Soji resources and all the rest of it. I mean, it's not by mistake that the media and the governments and the uh, Canadian Library Federation are all talking about, you know, the work that we're doing. Think about that small remnant. Now think about if everybody would get involved and there'd be millions of Canadians because we are the majority. Too silent, but we are the majority. Now you start showing up at school board meetings like I did last night taking on a Dominion voted uh, uh, constituent or or, um, election that had taken place with several uh, very questionable individuals who run won their uh, seats and running these school board trustee meetings like a dictatorship in violation of the Roberts rules of order, everything. And uh, so there were a lot of people that showed up and only 15 people could could end up in the room. So we've said this is a public a meeting, you need to look at the future and you need to start thinking about recorded meetings in a bigger public space because Canadians are starting to show up. My friends, you need to fill up City Hall. 
You need to fill up the school board meetings and you need to get your voice known. And that's where the pressure is because these guys want to get voted again. And we have a small window to uh, begin to ensure that our votes matter and our, our votes count and our actions matter and count. So you really need to get involved. This is why Trudeau as well is pushing so hard with the gun ban. And he uh, pulled back on of two course. assault rifles. Yeah. So there's some wins there. Yeah. There's going to be civil unrest in the streets if they continue. And, and this is not a question. We've, we've got men ready to stand up across the nation. This is why they try to emasculate men. And it, it's time to uh, do what we can civilly now. But we need you to get off your duffs on a Saturday and uh, get involved. Get out there during the week to a school board meeting. Get involved. Okay, Roscoe, Rocco, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions and uh, then we're going to wrap this up for the night. <laughs> As I would say to Ted Cunz, wimp. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, that's a challenge. I think Ted may be on here, actually. <laughs> Is he? Okay. <laughs> I, I saw Sheila had posted it earlier. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, there is still a travel mandate to enter the U.S. Is this correct? How do we work around this? I, I don't keep up with the U.S. I, I haven't traveled to the U.S. since the year 2000. So I'm afraid I, I, I'm not interested in what it takes to travel to the U.S. I gave up on that society before coming to almost giving up on Canadian society, except I live here. My family's here. My children are born here. I don't care yeah. about the States. Yeah, I'll be and uh, my, I don't know what their laws are down there. I don't care. Yeah, and my, I know that my might answer sound is arrogant. Nope. I don't know what they are. I don't keep up with their laws because I will never travel to the states ever. So I'm okay. sorry, the wrong lawyer for that question. And well, I want to uh, make uh, it up. Uh, you know, I don't know what their rules are. I, I, it doesn't interest me. Although I have my daughter who lives there, who's a citizen. I'm. I can't travel there. I'm there on their blacklist. For all the anti-terrorism work I did and the anti-COVID work I'm doing, I can't travel to the state. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay, you dark horse. You dark horse. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? I'll give some people a bit of a tidbit then. The, sure. Because okay. of you the, advise them. I will advise them. Uh, because okay, of the good. excellent work of Rocco Galati filing on behalf of the federal workers and challenging this case before the courts and the overturn of a RIVCAN and because of the excellent work of Action for Canada with our notices of liability, allowing people, because we had free reign, people had free reign to go down into, to the United States. They just were having trouble getting back into Canada. Well, because of all that great work through the summer and into the fall, um, I guess Trudeau probably had a little bit of a panic call with Biden and saying this Rocco Galati and Tanya Gar are a real pain in the, my side in other places, and I need your help. So Mr. Biden then stepped up to the plate and mandated that Canadians coming into the U.S. needed to provide vaccine status. And that's what's taken place. So Rocco has just said to myself, we don't have the red phone to Mr. Biden. We can't make calls to him. And and so there's nothing we can do to help you out there. <laughs> okay. All right. Rocco, well, no, I haven't he, heard. Listen, he wouldn't know where the red phone is anyway. <laughs> okay. Somebody pick it up for him. I keep thinking there must be an El Chapo tunnel between Canada and the U.S. <laughs> anyways. Go find, go find that and you have access to the U.S. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. If I'm not, um, Rocco, have you heard that the meeting with the premiers has conditions attached to the extra funding for the health care the feds are giving, they want access to our health record in order for the provinces to get the extra funds. 
Yeah, that's all illegal and unconstitutional. Yeah. You see, these these all ministers meetings are required by section, I think it's 36 of the Constitution Act, to, to ensure that enough money flows from the feds to the provinces so that every Canadian is receiving uh, comparable services in health and education and everything else. It doesn't it doesn't have to be exact to the penny, but it has to be comparable. So because the feds uh, possess the constitutional spending power, so they can try to impose conditions, but not where it goes to the heart of the exclusive jurisdictions jurisdiction of the province. So, for instance, they can say we're sending you this money for welfare in the province because the unemployment rate is really high, but you can't use it for anything else. They can do that. Or they say, we're sending this, you know, you say you need more hospitals. We'll send this money to build the hospitals, but you can't use it for anything else. What they cannot do is say, yeah, we'll, we'll give you the more money if you forfeit, if you do something that we can't do, like give us, give us, the patient records, because that's not for the feds. They have no jurisdiction over patient records. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, they, so that is illegal and unconstitutional, mm -hmm. huh? Well, they're constantly trying to find back doors, right? to receive our information and uh, a lot of people because they don't understand their rights or they just don't know what's going on um you know are capitulating or somehow providing information that they should not be providing and i know it's going on at the school level right now um, somebody had sent me a message recently and they're asking kids themselves to provide medical information and, uh, you know, parents, you really need to be hyper vigilant in telling your kids, do not sign anything, don't answer any surveys, don't do any questions, don't do anything that the school is mm. asking without your permission and involvement. And better than that, pull your kids out. We want to just mm. absolutely dis d destroy the public and private school systems. And the only way to do that is by numbers. Pull your kids out. And, uh, you know, just get them at home for a while. It will do them good. And, uh, you know, you have a chance at saving what's, what's your kids', the, your the kids life. The reports and complaints I'm getting from the school systems in Ontario are, are, are horrifying. Teachers asking questions and telling the kids, don't tell your parents we asked you this. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, kids are going to tell their parents, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know where they get off to act like criminals yeah. like that, you know? No, it's 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 amazing. I was at a school board meeting last night and uh, this Willow Reichardt is the one that's the chair. And uh, this other woman, Karen Bonder, who have both gone after Barry Newfeld with with everything that they've got. They're very much in support of all of the LGBTQ propaganda. And we were trying to address the fact that these books are uh, pornographic. And I was I was trying to warn them about their liability under several sections of the criminal code of making this available to children, but also the Provincial School Act, which says that because the associations are trying to say they're indemnified, they don't have to worry about anything. They're indemnified from any liability. But when you dig into the school acts under further sections, it shows where they are liable for vicarious uh, liability, tort, willful misconduct, etc., so um, be warned. I'm glad that Rocco brought that up. This is a huge thing that Action for Canada is taking on, is that it's going to come down to liability of the trustees personally. But they have to understand that what they're doing is a criminal offense, even if they're denying it. And uh, they're running these board like dictators. There are ways around that you just need to keep pressing well, in. 
in one of the boards in Ontario, the report I got was they're routinely asking children like grades four to eight or in that range every morning. Do you feel like a boy or a girl today? And don't mm -hmm. tell your parents we asked you. Yeah, I, I don't even know where why that question is even being asked. No, they're you know? doing a, a yeah, they're doing a gender spectrum chart where the activist ones will put a chart at the end, princesses on the left, a princess on the right, and asking uh, children in grade one, two, three to go up and say to point where they're where they feel most like. So if they're three quarters towards a boy, some a kid like me that like to climb trees, I rode horses and all the rest of it, and then that activist teacher is going to begin to groom that child and focuses on them, and those are the ones I, part of the social contagion, right? But may, maybe I missed basic biology, but these kids aren't even near puberty. How would they even no. begin to answer that question? That's because this is a pedophilic uh, grooming network that has infiltrated our schools across Canada with this agenda. And we're calling them out for what it is. We're disrupting what they're doing and we're going to overturn it. And uh, that's the uh, campaign I was, I was talking about earlier. So, yeah, there's nothing good or right or normal or thought provoking on a reasonable level about this. Well, I, you know, on a personal note, Tanya, I don't know what, you know, people, I, I, I pulled my kids out of the public school system. I, yep. In grade eight, I was clinically assessed as a mental retard, idiot, and imbecile using the terms of the Immigration Act. I, wow. I, I, gave, I, I, I just did not uh, want my children taught by teachers who had the IQ of a fence post. Yeah. The system is yeah. broken. They don't teach them anything. The only no, thing they can do is a... harm them. They don't teach them anything. No. You know, and they've you're got right. A political years agenda. ago, in Alberta, they had vouchers, educational vouchers. I think I think they should be brought back. You get a voucher from the province, and you put your kid in whatever school you want. Right. Public and, or and private, you know. I, I agree, Rocco. And right now, though, it's it's also infiltrating the private schools. So we're advising people, and we need all the homeschoolers on board. If you think, oh, I've pulled my kid out, I don't have to worry. They're coming for you next. They're in the private schools. They're in the public schools. They're coming for you next. We have um, a fantastic parent leader, Doris, who is head of our homeschooling division. We have... Um, vetted homeschooling groups across Canada. So no matter what province you're in, you get in touch with us, you pull your kids out, and we're going to try to help you, uh, you know, get in touch with people that can surround you with the information you need. And we're also reaching out to pastors and church leaders across Canada saying, open your doors dur during the week so we can get kids and teachers into actual safe spaces where in two hours they can learn more than they can in seven hours. And they'll be healthy, uh, kids that understand their God-given biological sex is good. <laughs> That's it. All right. Okay, so um, here we go. What challenges can be actively done to eliminate Bill C-21, the handgun freeze, and is there anything that can legitimately be done and the reversal of, oh, now somebody said Bill C-71. I'm not quite sure what that is, but what, what do you have to do with all, what do you have to say about all these uh, gun bans? Oh, that's a very uh, that that a loaded that's a topic question. For a whole sh <laughs> that's a that's a topic for a whole show. Okay, we get into so, the really okay. we read into we get into the really complicated issue of the right to bear arms that comes out of the Catholic right in the English Bill of Rights of 1688, which was which is still recognized as part of our constitutional law through the pre preamble mm -hmm. of 
the eighteen sixty-seven Constitution Act or the old uh, British North America Act. In both the Magna Carta and the English Bill of Rights recognize the right to bear arms. That's where the American Constitution gets its right. And while people says, oh, we don't have that right, I disagree. And one of these days I will take this to court. I think under the Magna Carta and the English Bill of Rights, we have the right to bear arms as a pre, pre-1982 constitutional right. It's, it's, it's not clear to me why Trudeau, well, I, I have my suspicions and my educated guess as to why he wants to disarm everybody, but it's not clear to me why these laws are coming in. Uh, from Troy, from Troy to Rome, to every dictatorship in the history of the world, to Nazi Germany, the first thing Hitler did was go door to door and ask for people's weapons on the pretext of protecting the fatherland because they weren't armed. Every mm-hmm. dictator takes the first step of disarming its population to uh, to uh, to to prevent civil unrest mm-hmm. when they really come down hard with their draconian laws. It's not going to work either in the states or Canada. No, nope. people are not going to declare their guns. They, nope. they, they 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 can ban all the guns they want. People are already armed, so it's it's mm-hmm. a discussion that really is worth a whole show. But it's my view as a constitutional lawyer. And it's never been raised or litigated. It's my view, and I may, you know, some gun owners want to go to court, and I would, I would be happy to take on the challenge. I take the position that we have a constitutional right, just like the Americans, to bear arms. I love that, Rocco. That brings me such comfort to hear you clarify that. And uh, it really does warm my heart. And and I hope that that is very clear to everybody else. I mean, the government is being so transparent if if only people are looking. Right as mm-hmm. to the reasons, uh, you know, in the steps of what they're where, what they're doing to uh, overcome citizens and can uh, can, Canadians are heavily armed. And, and so I agree with you. Yeah, I can. I can share with you, uh, you know, you remember the gun registry that was attempted at $2 billion of wasted public funds by Harper? Yes. On the pretext pretext that murders in big urban centers were on the rise. First of all, they weren't on the rise. They were on the decline. Second of all, Mm -hmm. nobody commits murder in the cities with long rifles. Their preference is hanging. I know. Okay. I know. So what was behind this whole gun registry was to disarm the indigenous population that was getting very close to insurrection after Gufferson Lake, Oka, Burnt Church, Caledonia, and all of that stuff, right? It didn't work. I, I had some involvement and colleagues who filed legal briefs on the gun reference. And the indigenous bands were clear. We have a constitutional right to our hunting rifles. You're not getting them. If you want them, pull out your rifles. And if you try to get our rifles, we'll use our rifles to defend ourselves. Mm-hmm. They were aiming that law at the indigenous communities. When they put in the law, the five provinces with the highest indigenous populations, their attorney general refused to prosecute the law because they didn't want indigenous insurrections in their problem. Right. So where's the gun registry today? The long armor? Dead. And how did it die? 
Because the people it was directed at said, F you. Right. Okay. And this is, this is, you know, I appreciate um, your colorful language without saying it, because it's exactly where it oh, is, no, Rocco. Is it, no, no, no. F, no F, people no, just need to say no. No, no. You, you, understand, you misunderstand. F you is my personal pronoun. It stands for <laughs> capital F, capital U, bracket, forever undetermined. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay. okay. Thanks for again clarifying for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, wh- yeah, this, th- like I say, somebody has already said a couple of times you got to bring Rocco back on and then I need to get in touch with the CFR. I-, I have somebody very dear to me, very close to me, who is by- fighting very hard against the uh, ridiculous gun legislation that Trudeau and the Liberal governments are trying to put in place. So I'll be on. I'll be connecting with them after this call. Um, I do think that it's in a very, it would be a very uh, critical and important uh, lawsuit just to tap the toes of Trudeau trying to come over this, this mm. line. Uh, that's all he needs, uh, I think, on this issue because it's going to be a no-brainer. Canadians are not going to give up their guns. No, uh, I'm really glad. Yeah, I'm really glad that this came up. So You know, I went to an all-boys industrial school. And we, it was a tough, rough school in downtown Toronto. And we used to joke that we don't need guns. If we want to shoot you, we'll insert the bullet manually. <laughs> Those that's are true rebels. You know, and, 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 you know, my question, too, is are they, are they going to uh, ban uh, butter knives next? Because my well, understanding is that there's many more murder, murders uh, related to stabbings than there are to any shootings in Canada. Okay, so, so all right. You know, we have all sorts of myths in our mind as Canadians. One, we're not armed. We are. A lot of, when I say we, I don't necessarily mean me. Canadians are armed, okay? The other myth we seem to be under delusion of is that we have less murders in Canada. Now, that's true and it's not true. A good friend of mine had it from the uh, senior homicide uh, detective in Toronto that the reason we have less murders in the states, in the big cities, primarily Toronto and Montre- and uh, Vancouver and Montreal as well, our paramedics in those three cities have the fastest response time in the world, usually under three minutes, okay, from the report of a stabbing or a shooting. And whereas in the States, they're not that fast for a lot of different reasons, funding, traffic, caring, not caring. And this, uh, this, uh, this homicide detective conveyed the fact that if we had the same reaction time as the American paramedics, we'd have close to about the same murders. Yeah, right. Okay. The paramedics save point. our murder victims. Okay. Yeah, so I hadn't, thought, I hadn't even considered it before. Mm-hmm. Huh? I Sorry? hadn't even considered it from that angle no. before. Yeah. So as many people get stabbed and shot, but they survive because the paramedics are right there. Not always, but, you know, they save a lot of people, you know, so. Excellent. I've got about two questions left, and then that's the end at uh, my my team. Thank you to Sheila and Heather for sending me all these good questions. All right, this is a good one. And and I have meant to do an action about this, but I, there's just not enough time in the day. It says there, you, you know what's happened with Pastor Arthur Pulowski and yeah. uh, going through the courts and getting arrested. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's been very, very fortunate because he's had so arrested much love and, and support. 
arrested and tortured absolutely in canada but he's had so much support uh you know from the media and from people rising to his defense but there are four individuals that were arrested uh i believe it's four or five uh in because of coots and they still remain in jail the one uh gentleman his dad died at christmas uh and his brother recently died i believe of a drug overdose and of course he's he's just sitting there in jail he's had no opportunity and uh, people have appealed to Daniel Smith, who made some promises. And so it's it's sort of been that Daniel Smith, is, is she on the right side of this? Is she stepping in to give a soft e- exit to uh, Premier Kenny, Premier Kenny? And why isn't she assisting, you know, these these individuals who wrongfully uh, accused and arrested in jail based on these covid measures? Do you have any comment about these individuals or who can help them? What can be done well, I for don't, them? I, I, I don't know the facts. The primary help they should be getting is from their lawyers bringing a habeas corpus application and taking that through the courts up to the Court of Appeal if they have to. Uh, she's the premier. It's a complicated issue because the public prosecution section, she can't direct the public prosecution system on how to proceed with the prosecution. Neither is she the attorney general, and even the attorney general could not interfere with the prosecution. Uh, we split our prosecutorial system uh, uh, into a public prosecution, uh, and they're independent. Yeah, I, I started my career in the Department of Justice, and uh, the federally, it's the same thing. This is what uh, mm-hmm. this is what uh, 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 the federal. Minister, uh, uh, Attorney General, partly got into hot water with, with Trudeau over. She has no right to say, hey, you got to drop these charges. You can't. So it's public prosecution. Yeah. My question is, how long have they been there and why is not, has anybody brought a habeas corpus application? Uh, it's been, I think, nearly, was it Coots? I believe that was, a, it's been a year. That's it's obscene. Year. That's obscene. Yeah. His lawyer should have brought yeah, it. And- he, by now, he could have been through the Court of Appeal. On a, on a habeas corpus application. I don't know if he brought one or not. Maybe he did, or she. I don't know. I, I, I haven't followed yeah, the case. I haven't, no, and I, I don't even know if these guys are having public support. Uh, so if anybody knows, I know Kim is our national chapter leader coordinator, and she's in Calgary, and she says over a year with no bail. And, uh, you know, for the fact that they were at the Coots border crossing, it's, it's, it's very, I mean, very it's criminal what's going on. They my wouldn't heart get a year. The sanction is not a year. I mean, it's obscene. It's just obscene. It uh, I, I don't know what to say. Do you know who their lawyer is? I don't even know if they, they have one, but I'm going to try to get some mm. more information. It's just like I said, Rocco, not enough time in the day to take all of this on. And um, yeah. okay. Uh, yeah, so that, that definitely is a situation. And then terminate for refusing the get job. Do they have a case? Okay, uh, somebody has asked, comment on federal unionized workers that were terminated for refusing to get jabbed. Do they have a case at all? Because it seems the employers have some assurance from the government that they would be immune from litigation. Well, we just argued that in federal court. We sued. They're saying saying that it should be dealt with in the labor relations context. I disagree. Supreme Court of Canada, you know, we're not suing. In, for them being fired, we're suing for tort of misfeasance of public office and abuse of authority. So, yeah, they right. could sue. We have sued. That was the mm-hmm. lawsuit we filed in May of last year. Right. You're in that process, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. And and then I'm just going to uh, close because um, I know you've received some information about Dr. Hoff here in British Columbia with the BC um, College of Physicians and the pressure that they're putting on him. There was a, a I, real I misinformation letter that was going around. No. I okay. I, all right. I, I, did. I have not received any information. I have seen statements floating around. On social yeah, that's media. what I meant. Just that's some, yeah. yeah, just just to that's, be clear. That's yeah. what I meant. Yeah, just some yeah. information on his predicament right now. But I think there's going to be a lot of relief for people to know now that you've um, stated it publicly that we will be challenging Bill 36. There's been so yeah. much unrest amongst healthcare workers in here in yeah. BC, and we just want to know you to know that uh, you know we we there's things that uh, we haven't uh, provided in advance for strategic reasons, but we want you to know we're coming for them. Uh, you know, we're going to be taking this on. Uh, Dr. Hoff has a, a lawyer who ended up in uh, the hospital as well. Uh, we're not sure of the medical reasons uh, why that happened. Uh, but I just want you to know that main letter going around and asking you to write the College of Physicians was false information and that his lawyer, Michael, sorry, what was um, Dr. Hoff's lawyers? He's the one from. I think I think it's uh, Michael Alexander's is the lawyer. Yes, thank you. He he has. Do you know what happened uh, at the hearing today on the ger adjournment request? No, I haven't heard. Okay, All right. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm waiting to hear to to see whether or not they they permitted that. Um, but anyways, okay. So I, well, that I again was. That, uh, I see just that Sandy Sable has put on the chat that she knows what happened today. Can you type in Sandy what happened today at the hearing? Too long to type. Oh, um, too long to type. All right. I'll call you after this podcast, Sandy. Well, what we could do as well is, um, Terenzio, can you find Sandy and just bring her on for a moment? It would just need to be brief, though, please, Sandy. Oh, there okay. you go. Okay, fair enough. All right, Sandy, thank you. <laughs> okay, good stuff. Well, Rocco... I am, again, just so grateful for your time. I've had good fun with you. And, uh, you know, I would say I hope all of our viewers and those who will be listening to this video presentation in the future, um, you know, have learned a lot tonight. It, it has been good fun. I feel educated and always so well informed when uh, mm -hmm. Rocco has been on the show. In closing, Rocco, what would you what would you like to say? Well, as Laurel always used to say to Hardy, this is just another fine mess you got me into. <laughs> I have nothing to say. Thank you. And I wish everybody okay. out there well and keep living your life as a free person. Assert and exercise your constitutional God-given rights. That's what, That's all I have to say. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Rocco, for being on the show. Uh, Terenzio, again, I want to just encourage everybody, please continue to give to the Constitutional Rights Center. Rocco is working very hard on your behalf. He has staff and an office to run. And so we want to just make sure that he continues to have, uh, you know, we what do they call that? A, a little war chest, not a little one, but a big one. Um, Action for Canada as well. We uh, had been very wise with our funds. And so when we had to uh, appeal some of the decisions that Judge Ross had made, uh, we were able to uh, pay Rocco those funds. But we need to as well uh, work and have some extra funds in our war chest to, to keep everything going because we don't know where 
the future is going. But we want those uh, the government oligarchs to know that we are well-funded and ready to go for whatever they bring our way. And it is definitely going to be the power of the people getting behind us. And uh, we need you to be ever so present. So, all right, um, our guest next week, it's going to be awesome. Christine Douglas Williams. Christine, you you may have heard about the new appointee to the Canadian uh, Racial Committee. And uh, this uh, this lady has made some very damaging statements in the past about uh, Canada and about this being a Christian nation. And Christine Douglas Williams used to be on the Canadian Race Committee. And one of the first things Trudeau uh, did when he came into office was make it a top priority to remove her because she's too Canadian. She's too sovereign. She believes in the um, fact that Canada is founded on Judeo-Christian principles and was questioning all the uh, rhetoric regarding the... Uh, Islamization of this nation through the passing of motion M103, the Islamophobia motion. Christine didn't support that. So we're going to be talking about her story, how she was removed from office and why the work that she's been doing since the statements that were made uh, by the newly appointed individual. What does it really mean about um, immigration, uh, how the government is trying to pit and divide the uh, citizens of Canada into partitioning by uh, creating nations within our nations. Uh, we've got the Muslims in one section, the Pakistanis in another, the Canadian in another, the Chinese. And why? We, why are we doing this? Right. We are all Canadians under one rule of law, under one constitution, under one charter of rights and freedoms. And we need to embrace that. And we're going to talk about how reasonable it is that when people immigrate to Canada, they are expected to assimilate and integrate. And that is not a, a racist comment to make. It is a reasonable comment to make if we want to exist as a country that was founded on, on the values and principles that gave us that foundation for the very democracy that we're living in. And uh, you have heard me often say before, if you question this, if you think that we are a multicultural nation, if you believe that we're a secular nation, then you're moving towards the fact of what was it Trudeau said? We're a post-national state with no core identity. So if we don't stand up for the core of what action, what, what Canada is founded on, Christian principles, we are going to be where Trudeau's dream of, and that's a communist, fascist, a diabolical state. Call it what you will. All right. So Christine's going to come on. We're going to have some honest conversation, uh, you know, uh, and, and I'll just leave it at that. And I always like to close off with a verse. Uh, Trenzio, would you please bring that up? I'm sorry, Tanya, before you finish off, I'm sorry. Can oh, I sir? join yes, that uh, session next week? I would love it if you would join well, I'll us tell you why. I for have that very session. Views on this, and I have written about it. I'm fluent in seven languages have litigated in both official languages. And the Section 27 of the Charter, in my view, the multiculturalism section, was meant to divide and not build. Yes. And I have no problem integrating with this country, and nobody's taken away my native tongue. And I think this whole nonsense of parading every different culture in a two-way two conversation in tunnels with the main groups is wrong. And, it's, and I totally agree with your statement, but I have some legal views on this. I think it's, a, I think it's going to be a great show. I, I'm hoping to pipe in. 
Oh, Rocco, absolutely. And, you know, this has been pre-COVID. This was one of the many issues that mm -hmm. I was addressing. I think it was one of the most critical, honestly, pre-COVID. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people say, if, if we're going to, we're going to focus on Motion 103, but it's going to be about immigration as a whole, etc., and about us being a sovereign nation built on biblical principles. And I always challenge people, if you are challenged with me saying that, I, I would say go to one of the 57, 56 Islamic majority countries, Pakistan, China, North Korea, and, and think about the basis of which their country, the belief system, which forms their political system. And these wonderful people living in those nations are living under tyranny, oppression. They don't have the rights and freedoms that we enjoy in the Western world. And that's why we're being hit so hard with this multiculturalism. We didn't vote on that. Pierre Elliott Trudeau cursed us with it. And no, uh, we've always been very... Yeah. They consciously confuse religion with politics. Fascists right. always do that. They confuse religion with politics. That's why we have the mess here, right? Because really, right. truly religious people of any stripe, all they want is to be left alone in peace, to raise their family, and be treated equally. They don't want to be put into boxes on the shelf. Right. And, and well, and the. And the thing is, as well, Rocco, is I was talking to uh, Brian Peckford recently, who's the last surviving, you know, um, individual yeah. of the signage of the charter. And when we were talking about this uh, section on freedom of religion, he said, Tanya, when that was signed, that was to keep the government out of the churches. And it was based on Christianity. Yeah. It was based on the God of the Bible, not all these multiple religions that are trying to infiltrate and force their uh, failed foreign policies and religious belief systems in Canada. And and so yeah. it's really, you know, and, and then, of course, like they've done with COVID, they, they've really upped the mind manipulation that, uh, how do we say that, uh, uh, psychological warfare that if you take a stand on this issue and object to it then you are that racist you're islamophobic they've got all of the word uh word uh attacks to shut people down yeah. from opposing yeah. something that we have a right and a duty to uh protect right. and and i i'm really 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 adamant to protect our christian roots because that's the basis of all that's what gives people to be uh atheists and live freely in canada as an atheist you know try well, try living see, as a homosexual know, in islam yeah <laughs> in, in most countries but you know this is why the, part of this COVID agenda is to be rid of all religions and the best way to do it is to attack the majority religion historically in Canada, which is the Christian mm -hmm. religion. Right. Like, I, I don't see any more churches. They're all being turned into condos, for God's sakes. Yeah. You come to Toronto, yeah. all the all the churches are being torn down for condos or refurbished as condos. Yeah. they You see the COVID agenda wants to eliminate people's faith in God, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And you see it clearly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because... Uh... Yeah, because they want to be God. <laughs> we, yeah, we've seen uh, right. we've seen Klaus Schwab's little puppet, uh, you know, who's gone around and and spoken about that uh, God is dead and uh, that they're right. going to take over our brains and minds. So there's crazy people running the nut house, or the, or what is it? The lunatics are running the nut house, and and we've got to take back control. So <laughs> okay, Rocco, great. We're going to look forward to uh, next week's show. So thank you so much. Thank we'll you. See you then. It's All been right. a fun evening away from the family.
Yeah, I've loved it. Yeah, I loved it. Okay, Trenzio, let's bring up that uh, verse. And we're going to leave everybody on a high note tonight. Okay, Psalm 37, 8 to 15. Uh, This is how God feels about the wicked. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed. Yay! But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked fought against the righteous and gnashed their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. All right. As always, I take great hope in these scriptures that God has spoken to us long ago. And that, um, as I've been saying, if you have hope in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you have hope in eternity. And if you're sitting on the fence because you're filled with fear right now and uh, everything regarding COVID, regarding these injections, regarding division in your family has really broken you down. I just want to encourage you. Contact Action for Canada. We have a prayer chain. We'd like to offer you support. Get involved with the chapters in your community because there's an incredible support team there just waiting to meet you. And you have gifts and talents that you can offer, whether you greet at the door, whether you go out and uh, talk to parents about what's happening in the schools, whatever it is, we need your help. We love you. So, uh, and you're not alone. All right. God bless you and God bless Canada. Thank you.
to get right. So I am just going to thank you so much. I'm going to say God bless you and God bless Canada. Yeah.